In the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, Jesus writes seven different personal letters to seven different churches. And as I've told you, these were first century churches that were located in, uh, in Asia Minor, which is basically where modern day Turkey is today. And these, these letters were uh, kind of like progress reports, if you will. Uh, the first letter was written to the church at Ephesus. This was the, the, the busy church. And the message that Jesus had to that church was, hey, look, in the midst of all these good things that you're doing, you've lost your love for me, your first love for me. And that was um, a message that we could all relate to. You see, it's easy to get busy and doing good things, holy things, righteous things, and then somehow you forget about your, your love for the Lord, which is the greatest thing. And so Jesus gave that church and us some incredible wisdom that uh, if that is us, if we've gotten too busy and we've lost our first love, how we could get that back. The second letter was written to the church at Smyrna. This was the, the, the suffering church. And this was a group of people that, uh, because of persecution and, and whatnot, uh, were just in a lot of pain and sorrow. And certainly all of us here can relate to pain and sorrow and suffering on some plane. The Bible says that uh, this side of glory, uh, you know, we're just all going to experience troubles, Jesus said. And Jesus gave some incredible wisdom as to how we can better make it through those times of sorrow, those times of troubles or whatever. The third letter was written to the church at, at Pergama. This was uh, the confused church. They certainly believed the, the teachings of the Bible, but then they somehow got confused as to uh, you know, what real truth was, and they started embracing um, just some other teachings. The Word of God was no longer the, the sole truth to their lives, and that can happen to us easily. The Bible has lots to say about lots of different topics, and it's easy to hear the voices of um, others than, than, than the word. Then uh, the, the fourth letter was written to the church at Thyatira. This was the, the tolerant church, and uh, I had a chance to listen to Pastor Rick Thompson's message last week, and it was just really, it was really insightful. Uh, my life was enriched. God, through the Holy Spirit, really spoke to me, and I know he, he did uh, uh, you also. And if you haven't been able to, to make it to any of these messages, maybe you're new, maybe you haven't been, weren't here last week or one of these weeks when we've gone through these uh, uh, churches and the, the letter that Jesus wrote to these churches, let me encourage you to go spend some money if you want and buy the, the DVDs or the CDs. Or if you don't want to spend the money, you can just go onto our church app or you can go onto our website and you can watch or listen to all these messages for, for free, okay? Because I, I know they'll be a, a huge blessing to you. Today we're going to begin to look at the fifth letter that Jesus wrote. The fifth letter was written to the church at Sardis. This was a, a, a dying church. And the message that Jesus had for, for this group of people was that they needed to keep watch over their, their souls. And so let's read about this dying church in Revelation chapter three. Look at verse one. The Bible says, to the angel of the church at Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So this is Jesus talking to his church. And then he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. I got the feeling as the people were sitting in church that day and the preacher was reading that letter, they were probably thinking to themselves, that's right. He knows our deeds. we got a great reputation. Okay. Then Jesus says, but you're dead. And I'll bet the air went out of the room when they heard this. I tried to picture myself sitting in church that day when this letter was written. You see, sometimes you have to hear some tough words if you're going to grow or you're going to change or, or whatever. Verse 2, Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in, my, in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief 
and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. So here we have uh, this dead church. And here's my, my question. What happened? How did it die? What caused this church to die? What, what causes any church to die? Well, what I want to do today is I want to perform an autopsy. Uh, when I was growing up, one of my favorite shows was Quincy. Remember Quincy? Okay, today, you know, you got shows like Bones and all that. Man, th those guys hold nothing on Quincy. That guy, all he needed was a scalpel and, and the local bar. And that guy could solve any crime. Today, you got all this newfangled equipment. But Quincy, that guy was unbelievable. And when I read this, I thought, you know what I want to do? I want to perform an autopsy on this church. I want to try to figure out what the cause of death was. Because if you know the cause of death, then you can make sure that maybe you don't go down that path. Or we don't go down that path. And so what I want to do is just do a little autopsy here. And the first thing I want to do is uh, I want to rule a few things out. Okay? Just want to rule a few things out. These are things that didn't cause this church to die. Number one, the church at Sardis didn't die because of outside influences. Okay? Churches in general don't die because of outside influences. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the powers of hell... Satan, the demons, aren't going to conquer it. Beloved, the greater the persecution from without, the stronger the church becomes. Right now, in Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood has destroyed over 50 Christian churches, probably a, a lot more, and they've killed a number of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. The, the Muslim Brotherhood is literally trying to wipe out Christianity from the country of, of Egypt, but it, it won't work. Because the, the church doesn't die because of outside influences, even when the outside influence is, is super evil, like the Muslim Brotherhood. So number one, I just want to rule out the fact that churches, the church at Sardis, churches in general, don't die because of outside influence. Number two, the church at Sardis didn't die because of suicide. Churches in general don't die because of suicide. In other words, the church didn't die on purpose. A bunch of people didn't gather in a room and strategize how they were going to, you know, kill, kill the church there. Once again, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the powers of hell. Even a, a bunch of guys gathered up in a room and want to try to kill it on purpose aren't, aren't going to prevail against it. And number three, the church at Sardis didn't die because God abandoned it. Churches in general don't die because God abandons them. Verse 4 says that uh, Jesus said, You've got a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The fact that there was a remnant of believers at this church at Sardis is a testimony of God's availability. God was available to this church. So it wasn't that you know, God uh, uh, abandoned it or whatever. So if none of these caused the death of this church, what did? Well, I'm going to give you three things. Okay, I think there were probably many, but I'm going to give you three causes of death. As I kind of took out my scalpel and was doing an autopsy on this church at Sardis, these are three things that, that I've come up with that, that, that killed this church. They'll kill any church. They'll kill your personal walk with the Lord. You'll die spiritually, and, and you can be a follower of Jesus and be dead spiritually. And these are, these are just three things. Number one, the church at Sardis died because the people weren't feeding on the word of God. Okay, you die spiritually when, when you're not feeding on the word of God. The, the, this was the, the, the first thing that I, as the medical examiner, if you will, noticed and saw 
That they just weren't feeding on the word of God. Beloved, this was a, uh, verse three says, therefore remember what you have received and heard and obeyed. Beloved, th- th- this was a, a church that had heard and received the, the word of God. They were a, a church that obeyed the word of God. They, they were feeding on the word of God, but obviously something happened. They'd forgotten about all that stuff. It's easy to, to, to come and hear the word of God or go to a Bible study and hear the word of God or whatever it might be, and then you forget You forget what you heard. You forget what you received. You stopped obeying it, whatever it might might be. Once again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, people don't live on on bread alone. We don't live on bread alone. Now we need bread. We need um, uh, a physical food for these physical bodies. This body of mine needs food. I don't function well if I don't have Food. In fact, if I don't get food, I'm probably going to die. I can't live that long without physical food. But Jesus says, you know, people don't live on bread alone, but, but they live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, there's another, um, there, there's a different kind of food that we need. You see, eating pizza doesn't do anything for my spiritual life. Eating clean doesn't do anything for my spiritual life. I, I, I got to eat for my, because this fleshly body of mine needs fuel. But the same thing is true for my spiritual life, Jesus says. You, you got to have some food. You got you to feed on the word of God. Churches die, individuals die when they stop feeding on the word of God. To me, James gives one of the most powerful statements concerning the importance of this, the the, the feeding on the word of God. Listen to what our brother James said. Now listen, the Holy Spirit filled James's life. And, And God had James pin these words for you. Yes, for us as a as a church, but but these were written by God for you. Listen to what God has to say to you. These are just really, really important words. In James chapter one, God says to all of us, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Now, I want you to look at at, at that word listen. In fact, in your Bibles and your notes, you had to underline that word listen there in verse 22. It's used of somebody that sits passively in an audience. Today, it could be used as somebody that simply audits a college class. When you audit a college class, you're basically saying, I don't want to do any research. I don't want to have to read any extra books. I don't want to have to take any tests. I simply want to come and sit passively and listen to the professor lecture. That's what you do when you audit a class. The mentality of someone who simply audits a class and one who's there to take it for credit is totally different, which is why when you take a a class for credit, you get credit for it. And when you audit a class, you don't get any credit for it. I think this was the case at the church at Sardis. They were simply coming to church and auditing the class, if you will. And unfortunately, some of you, I think, have the same attitude, probably. Don't you? I mean, you're here, but you're not feeding on the word. You're simply auditing the class. You walk in here every weekend, you, you take your seat, and you passively listen to the word of God being preached. 
You might take a few notes or fill in a blank now and then, but when it's all over, you have no intention of actually doing anything about what you've heard. Nothing. In fact, for a lot of you, some of you, literally from the time you leave here and get to your car, gone. You just kind of did your duty. You were able to mark the box, you know, I went to church, you know, I did something. I sang a song. Hey, I threw some money in the thing. But really, you're just auditing the class. You don't want to really do anything other than this this hour and a half. Which means nothing really ever changes in your life. And what James is saying here is that when you have this mentality, when you simply audit the class, all you're doing is deceiving yourself. Because you think that just because you heard the word of God and filled in a few blanks or whatever, somehow that, that made you spiritually mature. Beloved, the test of maturity isn't Bible knowledge. The, the test of maturity is character. I know a lot of people that have great Bible knowledge, but frankly, they're spiritual midgets. All the time I meet people, they rattle off all the books of the Bible and they can tell you all the, the great doctrines of the Bible and they can tell you, you know, you know, books of the Bible that they've memorized and then you ask them, where do you serve here? Well, I don't serve anywhere. You mean all of that great knowledge you haven't ran across one passage that says you ought to serve somewhere? Uh, how about, how, do you give? Well, you know, well, all of your great knowledge, all your great wisdom, you haven't run across anything that talks about you how you ought to give? Usually people like that love to complain about something. They're great at complaining. Listen, you gotta actually do what the Bible says. You, you gotta put the word of God into practice. That's what feeding on the word of, of God is all about. One of the things I appreciate about our school is that not only do we give awards out to kids who memorize the word, and that's a good thing. There's a lot of crummy things that we can memorize today. I'm glad that our school challenges our students to memorize the word of God. That's a good thing. But our school also gives out awards for the kids that actually do what the Bible says. And that's way more important. I'd much rather have my children doing the word of God than memorizing it. Now, I'm all for memorizing it. But I know a lot of people that can memorize it, but they don't do it. There's a lot of pagans out there that have some verses memorized. And they'll always throw those two or three verses in your face. They got to memorize. Now, they don't, have the, they don't know anything about that passage. They don't know the context of it. But pagans can memorize scripture. It's the doing of the scripture that's powerful when you live it out. That's what, it, what I'm talking about when I, I talk about feeding on the word of God. Now, I want you to look at that, pa at that passage of James. Look at verse 25. He says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God blesses you for doing it. And I want you to underline or circle that word, look, in that passage, because it's basically the opposite of the word listen in verse 22. In the Greek, this word look means to stoop down and to gaze in. It's what Peter did on Easter Sunday when he, when he got to the tomb. The Bible says that he, he stooped in and he was gazing at these linens that were now empty. He, he, he's trying to figure this thing out. He knows Jesus was put in that tomb. He knows Jesus died on the cross. And now he's, he's stooped in. He's not auditing the class here. He really wants to know what has gone on. What's happened here? Where's the body of Jesus? It's not here. What's going on? He was checking it out. He's trying to figure it out. And this is a, 
a totally different mentality than a person who simply audits the class. This is about commitment. This is an attitude that says, I'm not just gonna come and sit and listen to the word of God and then leave. I'm actually committed to living it out. So I, I wanna feed on the word of God. This is the heart of a true believer. And James says that when you have this attitude, it sets you free. God blesses your life when you have this attitude. You, 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 you'll come alive if you have this attitude. Now, James uses a, a great illustration to help us get this a little bit better. He, he says God's word is like a mirror. And the purpose of a mirror is to evaluate yourself. It's to help you know uh, what you look like on the outside better. Because once you know what you look like on the outside better, you can then make the necessary changes. In other words, if the mirror shows that your hair is out of place, you can now take action. You pick up a comb and you comb your hair. If you look in the mirror and you see some spaghetti hanging off your face from dinner, you can now take action. You can wipe your face off. If you look in the mirror and you notice that your shirt is wrinkled or your blouse is wrinkled, you can take action and you can get out the ironing board and iron your shirt or whatever it is. If you think about it, a, a mirror is basically worthless if you don't do anything about what it reveals to you. If you look in a mirror and your hair's all goofed up and you don't do anything about it, what good was the mirror? If you look in a mirror and you see spaghetti hanging off your face and you don't do anything about the spaghetti, what, what, what good was the mirror? If you see that your shirt or your blouse is all wrinkled and you don't do anything about it, you don't take any action, what good did the mirror do? Well, the word of God works the same way, except it shows you or it reveals to you what's on the inside. Now, when you look in a the mirror, there are basically two ways you can look at it. Number one, you can take a quick glance. And we all have done that. It's human nature that whenever you walk by a mirror that you always take a quick glance, right? You're at the mall, you walk by a mirror, you know, you look at yourself real quick, right? You can't help it. It's part of our fleshly nature. We are full of pride. We love to look at ourselves. We absolutely love it. And if you're visiting here, one of the things I always share is, is just take a group photo, and as soon as you look at it, who's the first person you go to? You. Right? And if you look good, the photo's great. If you look horrible, man, don't post that thing on Facebook, because that don't look good. Or number two, instead of simply glancing in the mirror, you actually stop and you gaze at it. And when you realize, you know, when, you, when you're really serious about making sure that you look good on the outside, what do you have to do? You gotta stop and gaze. When you got up this morning to come to, to church, you, you stopped in front of the mirror and you just didn't walk by it. No, you stopped. This was a serious moment. You wanted to make sure your hair was combed right. You wanted to make sure your makeup was on right. You wanted to make sure your tie was adjusted right. You, you, you had to stop and gaze into the mirror so that when you walked outside and you came to church, you were presentable. You couldn't just walk by and take a fleeting glance at the mirror. And the same thing is true when it comes to the word of God. You, you can either take a quick glance at it or you can you know, stop and gaze at it. You, you feed on it. This is where you set aside some time and you get rid of all the distractions and you really take a hard look at what it says because if all you do is glance at it, you'll never know what it says because as soon as you walk away from it, guess what? You'll forget what it says. As soon as you walk away from that mirror at the mall, guess what? You forgot already what you, what you had on. You forgot. You forgot. But let me tell you something, when I stop and look in the mirror and I see my hair's all goofed up or what my family likes to say, hey, you're puff daddy, and that's when my hair puffs up. Very encouraging to have my children look at me and say, hey, dad, puff daddy. Oh. I got to go back to the mirror and I got to go, okay, I got to gaze at it. Go, oh, yeah, look at that. And some of you are going, it didn't work, right? You, 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 need, you need some work. Look, 
when you really gaze at the word of God, which is what God wants you to do, when you, when you look at it intently, the chances are far greater that you'll actually walk away and be committed to doing what it says. When you really just spend time right here. When you show up here and you get your pencil ready to go. When you show up here and say, God, you know what, man, all week long I've done all kinds of stuff, but right now, as the family has gathered, I want to hear from you. Speak to me through the music. Speak to me through communion, baptisms, the message, whatever it might be. And you're, you're serious about it. Now, coming to church is fun, and I enjoy it, and the fellowship of believers is a great thing. We ought to come and laugh and have a great time. Man, God has no problem with that. But it also is this weighty time. It's a serious time. This isn't go, like going to a football game or a baseball game or go out playing golf or whatever it might be that you do. Not wrong with those things. But this is a serious moment when you as a follower of Jesus come to gaze into this book and say, God, I know what I look like on the outside, and I got myself all fixed up. Thanks for that mirror that showed me that my hair was messed up. Thank you for showing me about the spaghetti hanging out of my mouth. Thank you for showing me about the, uh, you know, the, the dress that was all wrinkled up. I, I took some action, God. Now I'm here to see what I look like on the inside, God. And I guarantee you, you will find things that are really beautiful on the inside. Just like when you... You look in a mirror and you go, man, I really like this necklace. It looks nice on me. Man, I really like this, these pants and this outfit that goes good together. You'll find things you like. God will tell you about things he, he, he thinks are beautiful about your life. But the word of God will also expose the hair that's out of place, so to speak. The spaghetti that's hanging off your mouth, so to speak. The word of God will do that. But if you never get into the word of God, you'll never know about those things. I found this verse in Jeremiah that, that really captures the heart of a lot of people that come to church and claim to know the Lord, yet their attitude reveals something totally different. Jeremiah chapter six says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. You'll find rest for your souls. And in a New Testament concept, we've got it. This is the right way. This is the right path. Here it is, right here. But you said, we will not walk in it. Beloved, this describes, I think, a lot of, a lot of Christians I know. They come here week after week, and they simply audit the class. And how I know they're auditing the class is, they don't do what it says. God's word clearly reveals certain thoughts and ideas, how they ought to live. And they just go, I'm not going to do it. I like the music. Fantastic choir, fantastic bands. I like Rick's energy. I like that. And, you know, there are some things he says I, I kind of like. And there are some things I, I, you know, I, yeah, I like that. And you just go, you know what, no, that, not going to do it. I enjoy this, this piece of my life. I enjoy whatever it might be. So the church at Sardis, I think one of the reasons why it died or why churches die in general is because they just weren't feeding on the word of God. And this might be true of you as an individual. Last night I talked with some people. And... Uh, I think the Lord is beginning to resurrect their spiritual life. And we're going to talk more about this, Lord willing, next week. But number two, as I, as Quincy, kind of did a little autopsy on this church, was the church at Sardis died because the people were messing around with sin. You die when you mess around with sin. Verse four says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Isn't that just graphic? Hey, there are some people in the church that haven't soiled themselves with sin. How many? Obviously, the, 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 the church was just filled with people who 
who were goofing around with, with, with sin. Dr. Jeremiah said this, beneath the polished reputation of the Sardinian church was secret sin. And one of the things that we have worked hard here at Big Valley Grace over the years is to recognize how hurtful and damaging uh, secret sin is to you as an individual and to us as a church, which is why you know, we just deal with it out in the open. Our Celebrate Recovery ministry is unbelievable. It's not necessarily fun stuff to talk about, but guess what? We, we just recognize that these earth suits of ours, these things that connect us to the physical, just, Paul says no good dwells in them. These are just crummy things. They don't get to go to heaven. And they're just filled with sin. Your, your flesh is the headquarters of sin. And I don't care how long you walk with God, this side of glory, you're gonna wrestle and struggle with sin. And we just go, look, let's just, let's just be honest about it. This was a church that I think, you know what, they just kept everything, they just hid everything. And the church was just running rampant with sin. Nobody wanted to deal with it. Nobody was trying to help each other through it or whatever. And God, you know, they, they, they looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were a mess, and God could see the hidden sin in their life. There was a moment when God was gonna select a, a, a new king for Israel, and so he sends the prophet Samuel to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. Jesse had a number of, of sons, and God was gonna pick one of them to, uh, to, to be the next king. And so when Samuel got to the house, this is what happened. A little vignette here that's really kind of cool. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab, and this was Jesse's oldest son, and he thought, surely the Lord has appointed this person standing be be before him. In other words, man, Samuel looks at this strapping young guy who probably was good looking and, you know, had bulging muscles. And man, this guy, wow, that's got to be the guy. I can see that guy being the next king. I mean, look at him. Woo! He walks into a room and man, he demands respect. He's good looking, man. He, he can give a speech like nobody else can give a speech. Wow, that guy ought to be the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, don't look at how handsome Elab is or how tall he is or whatever, because I haven't chosen him. God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outward, outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the first half of that verse is every bit as true as the second half. We as human beings tend to look on the outward appearance, right? But the second half of that verse is critical, that God is able to see beyond that. God can see beyond all your fancy clothes and your makeup and the house you live in and the car you live in and the side of town you live in. He can look beyond all that. See, one of the things that money does, and this is a, a wealthy church, is we can hide our sin easy, can't we? We can mask it by, by all the stuff we have and the places we go and the clothes that we wear. But you can't mask it from God. You can mask it from the person sitting next to you. You can even mask it from your spouse. But you can't mask it from God. Because he can see into your heart. He sees the stuff. And he was able to do this at this church at Sardis. Oh, they look good on the outside but he could see how sin had soiled the lives of the people of that church. J James said this. James said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father, and he's now gonna tell us what it is. If you wanna know what pure Christianity is, if, if you wanna know what... Uh, what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about, James, our brother, the half-brother of Jesus, is now gonna lay it out for us. He gives us two things. He says the first thing is this, is that you've got to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. And that's the second greatest commandment, isn't it? Jesus said the second greatest commandment is that you love other people the way you love yourself. 
And here what James says is, is he, you want to know what pure Christianity is? You want to know what, what, what pure uh, uh, being a follower of Jesus is all about? It's about caring for others. And he picks a group of people that's interesting. Because, see, orphans and widows can't do anything back, can they? If you help them, you get nothing in return. You see, it's easy for us in our humanity to see somebody who's got uh, a lot of dough, a lot of money, a lot of stuff, somebody, uh, somebody who's got a vacation home in Tahoe, and, uh, and, and they need help. Woo! You know, they need a ride somewhere. Man, we'll be all over that like a cheap suit because maybe, just maybe, if I help that guy out, maybe I'll get to use his Tahoe house. I'll be nice to him and he'll do something nice for me. What James says is, let me tell you what pure Christianity is about. It's when you help widows and orphans. You see, when you help a widow or an orphan, they got nothing to give back to you. Nothing. You're going to get nothing, humanly speaking, in return. It's just going to be because the Holy Spirit moved in your life and you helped them. And then James, James says this, if you want to know what pure Christianity is, it's about caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And then he says, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And by the way, that's the first greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's the greatest commandment. James just words it differently. He says, don't allow your life to be soiled with sin. Be corrupted with sin. Don't do that. You love God with everything you got. Your heart, soul, mind. And then you make sure you're taking care of other people. You're loving other people. You're ministering to other people. 1 Peter chapter Two, Peter said this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and for, foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Beloved, listen, I have an address, 3009 Sundance Lake Drive. But God says, Rick, that really ain't your address. You're a foreigner here. Don't, don't get so comfortable here you get all goofed up in what the world has to offer. Because someday you're going to be with me. That's your real address. That's where you really are going to spend your eternity. And right out here, there's an empty chair. I, I had a chance to be a part of Pete uh, Baker's funeral and the family sitting out here. And they had some balloons that were up. And that's Pete's chair right out there. That's sacred, that's sacred ground right out there. And I told you, nobody's going to sit in the, that chair. No one's sitting there. Last night we had balloons up. And it would be weird to sit next to balloons today. But I said, hey, listen, fam, I looked down at Helen and the family. I said, hey, I'm going to look back at that chair, and when I see those balloons, that empty chair, I'm going to remember three things about Pete. Number one, Jesus. He knew Jesus. Number two, heaven. He's in heaven. And number three, I'm going to see him again. So I'm going to look at that empty chair. I'm going to think of Jesus Christ because he knew Jesus. I'm going to think of heaven because I know that's where Pete is, and I know that someday I'm going to see him again because I'm a follower of the Lord. You see, Pete no longer lives down there on Tully Avenue where his home was. He now has his real home. He's simply a, a, a temporary resident here. He's a foreigner here. And God, through the Holy Spirit, says through Peter, look, don't get all goofed up with worldly things, worldly desires. Don't, don't be corrupted by the, the world, as James would say, or as Jesus said to the church at Sardis, don't let your life get soiled up with sin because nothing will kill a church or a, an individual life faster than, than, than sin. And number three, uh, this was the third thing I wanted to, to, to bring out, and it's, I don't think anywhere near as important as the first two, but, but it's still, a, I think, a cause of death. And that is this, the church at Sardis died because the people couldn't recognize their own spiritual condition. You die spiritually when you don't recognize your own spiritual condition. Jesus says in verse one, hey, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. And I think the people really thought they were doing well. I think when they looked at their life, you know, they came to church, I don't know, they gave money, they, they served, they were doing stuff. 
they couldn't figure out the fact that they were dead. They didn't know they were dead. This is a, a, a group of people that thought that they were tight with God, that they were nailing it, but just the opposite was true. They couldn't discern their own spiritual condition. And I was studying this this week. I was reminded of my favorite Bible character. Hands down, my favorite Bible character, and that's Samson. I love the story of Samson. Well, uh, he's my favorite Bible character next to Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's the, you gotta get that out right there, Lee. Um, but I love the, 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 the story of, of, of Samson. There's just so much that we learn from his life. But one of the greatest things we learned from his life is that he had no clue as to what was going on in his spiritual life. He was just clueless. You see, God had blessed his life in some really great ways. And one of them was that God had given him incredible power. Just incredible uh, 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 power. But because Samson had allowed sin to soil his life, he had no idea that God had removed his blessing from his life. Judges chapter 16 says this, then she, that's Delilah, called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, well, I'm just gonna go out as I did before and I'm gonna shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And to me, that's one of the most tragic statements in all of the Bible. Samson didn't know that the Lord had left him. He didn't recognize his own spiritual condition. He wasn't able to discern where he was in his walk with the Lord, so to speak. He was totally unaware of how his lifestyle, his, his sin was goofing up his life. A, a little compromise here and a little compromise there, and before you know it, man, he was just lost. Look, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, kids gather around. Honey, come here. I got a goal, I'm gonna be an alcoholic. <laughs> nobody ever does that. It's weird how we have lots of alcoholics though, huh? You see, it was a little compromise here, a little compromise there. They weren't able to discern where they were at. All of a sudden, they weren't feeding on the word of God. Next thing you know, the sin has just goofed up their life, and now <laughs> they've lost their business, their family, their kids. Nobody ever says, you know what, kids, family, gather around. Let's go bankrupt. I'm, I'm, Sam, I'm just going to, Sam, hey, brother, hey, I just want you to know, Mike, I got a new goal. I'm going to go bankrupt. Nobody does that. Little compromise here, little compromise there. You stop feeding on the word of God. You start living your life according to the word of God. You get all goofed up here and there, and the next thing you know, Nobody ever, you know, gathers a family together and says, yeah, I got a new goal for us as a family. I'm, I'm going to. I'm gonna divorce, I'm gonna get a divorce. I've married, I can't even tell you how many people, not a one of them ever said, I want this marriage to end in divorce. That's my goal. Something happens, a little compromise here, a little compromise there, you stop feeding on the word of God, you let little sin into your life. I don't know one person that's ever said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have an affair, that's my new goal. I'm, a, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf and, man, I'm having an affair. Nobody ever does that. A little compromise here, a little compromise there, a little wink here, a little, little flirty talk there, a little text here you shouldn't send. The next thing you know, man, the whole family's been blown up. Pain, sorrow, unbelievable. Nobody ever says, I've never had anybody say, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to walk away from the Lord. Yeah, I think that's my, new, that's my goal for this new year. I'm just going to walk away from God. Nobody does that. But I've done this long enough here to know something happens. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. Before you know it, you're not feeding on the word of God anymore. You allow a little sin into your life. You're really not aware of your spiritual condition. And the next thing you know, you're gone. You're gone. For some people, it might be weeks. For, might be months for some. It could be years. For some, it can be decades. And they're just gone. 
In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes some really weird words. These are really weird. I mean, really. Because he writes it to a group of church people. He says, hey, church people, members of a church, I want you to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. I want you to test yourself. That's kind of weird. God had Paul write that to you, members here at Big Valley Grace. God's word says, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Don't you realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. In other words, the power of God lives inside of you. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You think that'll make a difference in your life? It ought to, right? Look, <laughs> I know I'm a Christian, not because I said a prayer. No, I said a prayer. And I lead people in prayers. Nothing wrong with that. And when someone prays a prayer, the phrase I always use is, yeah, they became a Christian on this day. I don't use that phrase. I use the phrase, they made a profession of faith. All know that that profession of faith was genuine when I see their life, how God begins to transform their life. I know I am saved. I know God lives in me because as I examine my life, I can look at how I used to live and how God has transformed me today. I see the proof that the power of God is in my life. That is something all of us need to do. God wants us to examine ourselves. How eager are you to feed on the word of God? How eager are you to you know, read your Bible or get involved in our Bible studies, men's, women's Bible studies, small groups? How eager are you to have a quiet time with the Lord? How eager are you to read a book that might explain you know, the scriptures better? How eager are you to deal with your sin? Lamentations chapter three says, let us examine our ways and test them and then let us return to the Lord. In other words, you know, when you really check your own life out, I, I promise you, you'll find some stuff and you'll just need to repent. You see, you might be sitting out there right now thinking to yourself, man, I got it all together, man, everything's great. No, you just haven't spent enough time examining yourself. And if you think you're, you're, you got it all together, just let me talk to your spouse for 10 seconds and we'll, 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 we'll quickly know what that is what it is you need to work on. So the church at Sardis died, or churches in general died because they, they weren't feeding on the word of God or they were messing around with sin or they just couldn't discern their own spiritual condition. And I want you to know it's true of, of us. We'll, we'll die spiritually. Oh, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'll talk more about that maybe next week. But you're just dead spiritually because you're not feeding on the word of God. You allowed sin to goof up your life and you just aren't aware of where you're at in your walk with the, the Lord. So how do you stay alive spiritually? Well, that's what I'm gonna talk about next week, Lord willing. We're gonna look at a few things. But before I end, let me, I, I wanna just leave you with this. Verse two says, wake up, wake up. And when I read that, I, I thought about my alarm clock the, 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 my alarm clock only has one purpose. That clock that sits next to my bed has literally one purpose, and that is to wake me up. That's it. That's its only purpose. It's there to wake me up. And when it goes off and I hear that buzzer, it's saying to me, wake up, <laughs> wake up, wake up which is super important because if I don't wake up, you know what, it messes up the day. If I don't wake up, I'll, I'll miss meetings. If I don't wake up, I'll miss an appointment. If I don't wake up, I'll get behind on things. If I don't wake up, I'll be rushed. Waking up is important. Okay. <laughs> that right there, months and months, Lee. Oh, we've been rehearsing that for months. Just unbelievable, the manpower that we put <laughs> to, to that moment. It's almost kind of sad now that I, now that I think about it. Here, here, here's the one thing I want to leave you with. 
Because I don't know whether I'll, I'll be around next week or not. I don't know. I don't know whether the Lord will come back or not, but I want to leave you with one thing. Wake up. Wake up. Are you messing around with sin? Wake up. Are you not feeding on the word of God? Wake up. Are you not sure where you're at spiritually? Wake up. We have a, a room, the, the altar room, where uh, our pastors and elders and, and spiritual leaders of our church gather, and that's a place where, you know what, maybe this is the moment you need to wake up. Go in there and say, you know what, I've been messing around with sin. Would you pray for me? Maybe you haven't been feeding on the word of God and you just want some spiritual leaders to pray for you, that you'd wake up. Maybe you just want somebody to help you define or figure out where you're at spiritually. For some of you, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never invited the Lord into your life. And this is the moment the alarm clock is going off telling you you need to wake up. You need to wake up to the fact that, that your sin has caused you to, to you know, have a, have a mess between you and the Father. And the only way that you can repair that mess is by inviting his son, Jesus Christ, into your life. And this is the moment where you need to wake up. And you can go into that altar room, and it happens often, and just go in and say, I don't know the Lord. I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, but here I am. And there's, there's, there's one over in, 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 the, in the venue also. In fact, I want everybody to stand up right, right now. Everybody stand up. And I'm gonna end this differently than we had planned, okay? I'm just, I'm just gonna pray. I wanna pray for those of you over in the venue and I just wanna pray for you here, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this time that we've had to be here today. I'm grateful, Lord, for these letters that you wrote to these churches in the first century and they certainly apply to us today. And I pray that as we leave this place and go to a prime time or we go home and have brunch or we hang out with family or whatever it is we do that somehow you would continue to speak to us. May the Holy Spirit continue to teach us, Lord, as we leave this place. And God, maybe this week as our alarm clocks go off to get us up for school or to get us up for work or just to get us up in general, Lord, maybe we'd think about that thought that we need to wake up, feed on the word, wake up, Deal with our sin. Wake up. Know where we're at spiritually, Lord. Use the, the alarm clock in our homes to, to help us, God, focus on you maybe better. And Father, I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you here next week, okay?